on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. It is the bye week, people, but we've got the voice of the Sooners, Toby Rowland, to recap OU season up to this point. We talk about our favorite plays, our favorite game, offensive MVP, defensive MVP, all that kind of stuff, and we answer some of your questions. That's it. Please download and subscribe to the podcast. Rate it five stars and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. Our man, Michael Hostie, will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Monday, November 8th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and your health and safety are Riverwind's number one priorities. There are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful, award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match, Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And Fridays in November from 6 p.m. to midnight, you can win your share of $115,000 in cash bonus play and prizes in Riverwind's $115,000 Let's Get Digital promotions. Preliminary drawings are every 30 minutes, and the grand prize drawings will happen at 11.59. If you need help finding your way, just visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, still the one. Now we're recording this several days in advance. We are enjoying the bye week, people. I hope you are enjoying the bye weekend as well. We've called in the big gun, Ted. We brought him, the voice. You do what you got to do, man, whenever we need those. Those views up, those clicks up, you bring in the voice, t Row. I only imagine that you guys were running low on female viewers. Is that the problem? <laughs> it's, it's something like that, but the the real reason you're here is for your great audio quality. Well, what, what, are, we, what are we doing here, man? I, I mean, no, you are. sound bad? No, you sound fine, but you're just going straight computer audio. You're a professional. I know. I apologize. I've got this like fancy mic, but my my nice computer is down, so I'm having to use my wife's laptop, and it won't plug into it. So I apologize. I need it's, an engineer. I'm used to having Drake Dyken wherever I go. So good point. I don't know how to do this. Good point. That, that is a good point. So basically, the plan here, boys, and you never know with us three, things tend to uh, we'll veer. We'll, we'll veer, I assume, but. <laughs> Basically, just recapping the season up to this point. You know what what we've seen, what we've liked, what we've disliked. But Toby, let's let's start here first, man. Uh, we haven't gotten your thoughts on OU being at eight in the initial college football playoff rankings. What what was kind of your reaction when OU flipped over with that number eight spot? I gasped. 
uh, audibly gasped by myself watching the shows. <gasps> uh, but I love it. Like, I think it's fantastic. I think it is motivation. Um, I think everybody's ticked off, which is not a bad thing this time of year. And honestly, it's a little hard to argue. I mean, I think I would put them ahead of Michigan for sure. But other than that, it's a little hard to argue based on how they've played so far this year. They're Oklahoma and they're nine and oh, and I wouldn't have put them at eight. And I'm surprised, but I can't sit here and throw too big of a fit over it with the way they've played most of the year. You know, Tulane and Kansas, most notably, were ugly wins. So I would much rather they be at eight and be motivated than be at like two or three and everybody complaining about them right now. And I have zero doubts that if they went out, they're going to be in this thing. I mean, 99.9% chance that if they win the rest of their games, they're in. I think they're probably even at that point, the two seed, two or three seed probably. So I said on my radio show that if OU wins out and doesn't make it, I will walk to the season opener at Owen Field next year from my house. There's no chance that they're going to be left out if they went out. So that being said, I like it. Just, one follow-up here, uh, Mr. Roland. Don't you live like in Piedmont? 40 miles. Uh, oh. <laughs> yeah. We looked it up. It'll be about a 13-hour walk. Uh, you know, but I'm going to stop and eat a burger along the way. So it's going to take me a, a good full 24 hours probably to get there. But I'm not worried about it. Neither should you be. If they went out, they're going to be in. Oklahoma's not going 13-0 and with a conference championship and being left out of the college football playoff. It's not happening. Totally agree. I think one of the interesting things is whenever you look at Lincoln's teams, they always get better this time of year, start to really play good football. Um, we haven't really had a backloaded schedule this backloaded where our final regular season games are like boom, 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 the three best teams that we're going to face. But since 2015, I guess 2014 we may have, but 2015 we've never lost a game after the initial college football playoff poll. So, you know, the way it's, it's always better to lose early and work your way back, then lose late whenever, you know, you're going to slide and probably don't have room to, to make up that time. But, uh, yeah, let, let's, let's see if they can uh, continue to do what they've done and play their best football in November. Here's the thing is they're going to have to get better than what they've been. But I think they're clearly capable of that. Yeah, it's no different than the spot they've been in every year, which is you can't lose, you know. In the past, they've had a loss by now but same is true once you get to this time of year once you get to november and december there's no margin for error and uh can't lose and if they can run the table especially considering the opponents they have in front of them they're going to be fine the bigger worry is just what you said it is not would they get in if they went out it's can they win out you know they're gonna have to play better football to win out with baylor iowa state Oklahoma State, and one of those, again, still in front of them. 
you you mentioned because I I feel like this is the closest it's been in a long time when you you look at the gap between Oklahoma and the next best teams, right? Is that just me, guys? Because it does feel like, hey, there is not much separation between OU's team and what Oklahoma State looks like and what Baylor looks like and what Oklahoma looks like. And even Iowa State at times, right? Like, to me, this feels the closest that it's been in a long time. I don't know if it's from a, like a talent perspective or just the way they're playing, but in years past, I'd be surprised if OU got beat by Baylor, right? I'd be surprised if Oklahoma State beat Oklahoma. But this year, I'm like, eh, is there really that much of a difference between the teams? Do you guys know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean – I might be a little bit of recency bias because the last couple of times we've been down to Waco, were we an underdog? I mean, we might have been favored, but uh, the Jalen Hurts team, like, I think we were – were we a dog? Maybe not. Maybe we, we were had a- just We had just lost to Kansas State, right? We lost to Kansas State the last week of October, and I think there was a bye week, and then maybe we went to Baylor. I don't know if we were an underdog, but yeah, we I mean were... that was a good that was a good team though. Um, not seventeen, but in fifteen when we went down there, they had a good team. Iowa State obviously last year beat us and uh, had a really good team. Some of these OSU games I feel like have been three to six point spreads in recent years. I would say there have been there has been a team the last few years who is in this category. Like they are close to OU. OU's a slight favorite, but this team's capable of beating them. I don't know if there there's been three teams like like this like this deep. The Big 12 is deep enough that we've got four teams at the top, three other teams that you feel like are capable of getting you. But I mean Baylor was fighting for a playoff spot two years ago. That that defense was really, really good. So, um, but yeah, this deep, I would agree with you, Gabe. What about the rest of the teams? Um, you know, we're number eight. How do you feel about Oklahoma's chances? Like, if they make the playoff, if they win out, some of those better teams in the country, as we look at it, Uh, Eight games in for most of them, nine games in for the Sooners. How do you feel like we kind of stack up against the rest of uh, those top teams out there? I think right now Georgia and Alabama are clearly better than them. Um, I think Ohio State, Cincinnati, Oregon, all those other teams would be good games. But if OU is going to get like under this scenario – OU is going to win out and be in the playoff, then that means they played good football. You know, that means that they must have gotten their act together here. If they're going to beat Baylor, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, one of them again in four straight weeks, we must be looking at an Oklahoma team that's peaking. Mm-hmm. It, it also means that the defense, I think, has figured some things out. So under that scenario by which Oklahoma is in the playoff, uh, I think they can play with anybody. I mean, 
nobody's been able to score on Georgia. So I got to kind of see it to believe it. But I do feel like Alabama and Oklahoma could score uh, some on Georgia more, more than more than anybody has so far this year. So I'd, I'd be intrigued to see those games. If, if Oklahoma could finish strong, be peaking and get into a playoff against uh, Georgia, that would be a fascinating game. But I, if you're being honest with yourself, I think at this point, based on what we've seen this year, Georgia and Alabama are better football teams. Uh, the rest of them would be, you know, could go either way, uh, would be good games. Yeah, that, this is kind of the way that I put it, Toby, is that, you know, with what we've seen from Oklahoma, not only this year, but in the past, right, when they get into the playoff, if you if you remove the Georgia Rose Bowl, right, it just hadn't gone well. Man, when they have gotten on that stage against teams that have an equal amount of talent or a greater amount of talent, they they haven't won. So for me, I I think OU can beat any team in the country that's not Bama, Georgia, or Ohio State. Right? I I, I think I would pick those other teams to beat them until I see it with my own eyes that OU can get on that stage and beat a team that has more talent than them. And I think that's fair, right? I, and I think that's how a lot of a lot of the fan base feels. And unfortunately, there's a portion of the fan base that's like, hey, we don't want to go to the playoff and get killed. Now, those are the biggest losers in the world. But <laughs> I kind of understand. Now, that's not my mentality. I want to make it clear. But I understand their reasoning because it's, it's hard to imagine right now, especially with some of the inconsistencies we've seen on both sides of the ball this season. It's hard to imagine, oh, you going to the playoff and knocking off Bama and then going to, or even if it's like knocking off Oregon or Ohio State and then going and beating Georgia in a championship game. It's just, it's one of those things you're going to have to see it before you believe it. I, I don't know how else to put it. All right. I agree. But it feels like this year has been so weird that, I mean, here's me being pie in the sky optimistic. It feels like that if there was ever going to be a year where things were just going to fall into place for them and it was a kind of a team of destiny, like maybe this is the year, you know? I mean, it's the zaniest year that I can remember. If I, Like if I told you in the preseason, Oklahoma is going to be 9-0 and and they will have benched Spencer Rattler, you would have said, that's crazy. If I told you they were going to be 9-0, and but they were going to be number eight in the first college football playoff rankings, you would have said that's mathematically impossible. There's no way that that would happen or the litany of everything else that's happened to this team. So yeah, as things stand right now, it's hard to imagine them beating those teams if they get to a college football playoff. But the beauty is we've got two months until they would play that game. And who knows who gets hurt? Who knows who gets hot? Who knows who makes a big mistake at the wrong time? Alabama's still got a freshman quarterback who's never been on this stage. Ohio State's got a freshman quarterback who's never been on the stage. Oklahoma is going to have a freshman quarterback who's never been on this stage. Um, I don't know who Georgia's going to ride with, but it's going to be somebody who hasn't played on this stage before. So things could happen, but 
you know, it'd be better to be in it than not be in it. And maybe this is a team of destiny. It's been, I agree. It's been crazy. This, this season has been from the opening game against Tulane. It's just been full of drama and it's actually, it's actually been a lot of fun uh, to play in a lot of those close games. I know people want or claim they want blowouts every single week, but uh, it's a lot of fun to be there and, and watch the drama. Do you have a, a game so far that's that's been your favorite to call or to be a part of or to watch unfold? Before you answer that, Toby, let's take a quick break. The only place to stop when you're road tripping is Love's Travel Stops. And Love's has over 560 locations in 41 states, offering 24-hour access to clean and safe places. And all you have to do to win a $25 game day gift card from Love's is tweet a picture of you going to a Love's, headed to the OU game this weekend, and tag us and tag Love's Twitter. That's it. And you'll be entered to win it. Love's has everything you need when it comes to road tripping. Fuel, fresh food, drinks, and my favorite, Java Amore. That coffee is fantastic. Love's also, as you covered, if you forget your phone charger or headphones, they've expanded expanded their mobile-to-go zone so you can grab any of that stuff there. Make your make sure you download the Love's Connect app for exclusive offers from today's most popular brands. The Love's Connect app also includes a route planner and store locator. When you see that red neon heart on the highway, stop in and say hi at Love's Travel Stops. For a full list of what Love's has to offer, visit loves.com. And make sure you bank at First Fidelity Bank. First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for your personal and business needs, checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all. Whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone, everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank also provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank at First Fidelity Bank. Visit FFB.com for more information. I think that uh, if you're going to pick a favorite game, I think you got to pick Texas. I think it was certainly in the running to be the, the greatest OU Texas game we've ever seen. The degree of the comeback, the way that it unfolded, the emergence of Caleb Williams, uh, all of the dramatic moments that took place. Um, that's one of my favorite games that we've ever had the opportunity to call or be a part of. It felt like it took seven hours. Um, I feel like we had 20, you remember we were in the post game show, Ted, and we'd been going for like two hours and we, there were huge plays we had forgotten to even bring up because there were so many in that game. So I think my favorite game, one of my favorite games that we've ever been involved in is this year's Texas game. That being said, the Nebraska day was special. That was a special day. The whole whole week was special. And uh, the game was closer than a lot of people were comfortable with, but it was a fun football game, a dramatic football game into the fourth quarter. But just everything that went into that was neat to be involved with. You know, the, the banquet the night before, welcoming back all the legends, the pomp and circumstance. Both schools did an A-plus job of the week leading up to that game, reminding us of the history of that rivalry. So um, 
I would be my one B is I thought the Nebraska week was pretty unforgettable. So I know that clearly, you know, you're thinking about your favorite calls or just the games, but the thing with Switzer and Osborne had to be, even though Bally sports didn't run it at the correct time and people freaked out, Toby, how, I mean, how cool was that? I mean, right, reliving the game of the century. It's not my game of the century because, oh, you lost. I just want to make that clear. <laughs> but, dude, that had to be such a cool experience. Yeah, I was nervous. Um, I was legitimately nervous. I knew for like a week we were going to do that. And uh, uh, I, I wish we could do it again because when I left after taping that hour, um, I was like, man, I could do we could do that better. But uh, for those who don't know, we had the opportunity to sit down with, with coach Schwitzer and via satellite with coach Osborne and watch the 1971 game together, the game of the century. And I mean, just, you know, you think about the accomplishments of these two men and I'm a kid growing up watching them on the sidelines in those red slacks, both of them going against each other through the years. And, um, to be sitting in the room with, you know, six national championships and a Super Bowl and two Hall of Famers. One of them served in the Congress for years. And I mean, they're legends. They're, they're two of the five greatest coaches in college football history was a pinch me moment for sure. And um, now you guys know there's no way you can possibly screw up anything that Barry Switzer's involved in. <laughs> All you do is say, welcome to the show. Go. <laughs> and he goes. So he makes it happen. The The thing that uh, I took away from it is one of them was 84 and the other 83 at the time. Now they're both 84 because Barry's had a birthday since. But at the time, one's 84, one's 83. And both of them remembered every play of a game that happened 50 years ago. They were the offensive coordinators then. And they remembered what they called, why they called it, what they should have called. Barry has many regrets still from that day. That's fascinating because I can't remember what happened last week. So we we make a lot of Lincoln Riley's memory, and rightfully so. It's incredible. But that I was stunned that these two guys in their 80s remembered every play from a game 50 years ago. But what a thrill. What a thrill. Well, yeah. You mentioned the the Texas game, and and maybe it's the best Texas game, or at least that we've seen. And I, it's the best game that I've seen. It's probably the best football game I've ever seen at any level. And the amount of amazing plays, highlight plays, the list just goes on and on. Games that were uh, heavily influential in the outcome. My guess is, if you had to pick a favorite play of the season, that it probably comes from that game too. I think the. The play of the year is Kennedy Brooks running it in at the end of the Texas game. Um, it was shocking because we thought they were just setting up for a field goal. And just the realization that in seven seconds time, that's it. That's it. We've just witnessed the greatest game we've seen, the greatest OU Texas game. What a finish. You know, there was a thought there in the middle of that run. He better get down or he better get out of bounds or the clock's going to run out. So I think that's the play of the year. But there are other candidates. Uh, you know, Caleb Williams, fourth down run in that game. His first ever appearance in OU Texas is amazing. 
the one-handed interception by DJ Graham. One for the eight. It it feels like forever ago (laughs) that that play happened. Remember, he was selling T-shirts. Oh, my gosh. Marvin Mims' catch. Marvin's selling T-shirts, too. Uh, That's how good that catch was against Texas. So there are other candidates. But I think for the moment that it was that the Kennedy Brooks run is the play of the season. What do you think? I personally, it, yes, but the the moment of me, the moment of the year for me, just being on the sideline, right? You guys, you guys know I'm all about the vibes, the energy down there. When when Caleb Kelly stripped the ball, and then the next play, they direct snap to Kennedy, and he goes, and OU takes the lead. Like I felt, I felt like I was on drugs. Like it was. <laughs> It was an unbelievable sense of euphoria, and it's I'm down there, and all the kids are throwing water in the air, and I'm like soaking wet from it. But I'm like in a mosh pit of players. I'm like, wait, how did I end up here? But it was that that like high of that game, and also you know we go to commercial break there during the broadcast, and I click on them like, guys, I they may win this game by like three touchdowns. I mean, that was, for me, that was the highest high of the season is when they took the lead in that game. And also, just a beautifully executed, you talk about a game plan run. I mean, they hadn't shown that. They executed it perfectly early in the game. They executed it well again. They end up executing it again to win the game. So there's a lot of things going into that play where I'm just like, oh, yes, that's the stuff you've got. Drake Stoops' lead block on that play. So I just that that and I know it's a it's a personal thing, but that the feeling I had after that play, I'm not sure I've felt that as you know, being part of the broadcast. That was that was awesome. Well here's the funny thing though. All, right, all of those plays are amazing, but the play of the year may be the fourth down at Kansas. Now, it didn't feel the same on the sideline and in the stadium and in the booth. I felt like I was on different drugs for that one, Ted. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But, like, if he doesn't make that play, I firmly believe that Kansas wins that football game. I think they do. They'll have the ball, what, the 45-yard line going in. They just went right down the field on us. Like, the feeling on that sideline would have just like totally collapsed. Uh, what were they, uh, what was it? We, we were up five at that point. Is that right? Something like that. Um, it, it was a one it, score game. Yeah. Yeah. It was a one score game and they would have gone ahead uh, if they scored a touchdown, it wouldn't have been a tying. So I, I think that play where he pulls the ball from Kennedy, even though it was like, wait a second, what just happened right there? kind of unfolded oddly but it was that's the season saver right there if you lose to kansas it doesn't matter there's no playoff that's the difference between like doing something really like a roller coaster really exciting like the texas game was euphoria the kansas game was that feeling the fourth down was that feeling of landing safely after a really turbulent air flight, like, oh, thank God we're still alive. You know, that feeling that washes over you, it's a great feeling, but it's more relief than 
jubilation. That, that may have been solely landing the uh, the plane in the harbor there in New York City is what yeah. that was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like kind of had a feeling, you know, walking <laughs> through a dark alley in a city you don't know at like 2.30 in the morning and you arrive on the other side and you're like, oh, okay, we're good. Uh, okay, now we, we've hit on a lot of the positive stuff. I want to talk about our uh, our lowest moment of the season, but first, a quick break. Do you own a business? If you do, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information for many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best in class, connect with Insurica at insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. All right, guys, the weather outside sucks, but it doesn't matter because it's always hard seltzer season. There's only one hard seltzer that we drink on this podcast, and that is Sonic Hard Seltzer from Coop Aleworks. It's perfect for any occasion. You can drink it in the hot tub, by the fire, and at the tailgate. You can buy 12 packs of the iconic Sonic drive-in flavors like Cherry Limeade and Ocean Water, or you can grab a citrus variety pack or a tropical variety pack. Find it at your local grocery, convenience, and liquor stores. And send your kids to Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School has a long tradition of educational excellence. With a 12-to-1 student-to-teacher ratio, no student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. There are numerous clubs and organizations for students to join. And as a proud member of the OSSAA, there are 14 sports offered. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. So the low moment of the year, it's got to be from the Kansas game, right? I mean, I think we would all agree. And for me, the so out of halftime, right? Down 10 nothing to halftime in Lawrence. You know, we're all saying the same thing. Oh my gosh, this is this is not good. This is not good. It doesn't feel good. The power went out, like all these things. But OU comes out of the half, goes on a 14 play drive, and they make it 10-7, right? A- against the Jayhawks. And we're like, okay, here we go. You know, maybe a few more explosive plays would be nice. Maybe, you know, like an eight play drive instead of 14. But here comes the comeback. But, (laughs) I mean, Kansas takes the ball, goes down the field, 10 plays, 75 yards, takes off a ton of time, and Devin Neal punches it in, and you look up, and there's a minute 30 left in the third quarter. That was the low point of the year for me. When I looked up at that clock and went, "There there is a possibility unless something drastic happens that they can lose this football game. And I had not felt like that in that game at all. I was like, Hey, comeback's coming. But when Kansas answered that way, boys, I can't lie. I was concerned. That was the, Oh boy. Moment of the year for me. I mean, one of our responsibilities is to try to 
put into to encapsulate the importance or the magnitude of what we're witnessing. And, you know, I, we tried to do that with the Texas game by saying, you know, maybe this is the greatest OU Texas game of all time. There was a moment in that game where it dawned on me. All right. We like, we got to let people know the magnitude of what's going on here. Like we may be looking at one of the biggest upsets in college football history. And that's at the point, I think when we, kind of went into that on the broadcast is it's 17, seven and folks, you need to understand like what's going on here. Like this is, so listen, Friday night was great in uh, that Kansas trip. The rest of the weekend is a low point of the season Uh, from dessert after from dessert on was a low point. Um, The blocked punt against Texas when it's 14, nothing. And we just had the national anthem, you know, that was pretty low. Um, yeah, I, that's the funny thing about that. I in that game, right? They score on the first play offensively, seventy-five yard touchdown. They block the punt, and at that point, I'm like, we're going to get beat sixty to zero today. It's just that day. But by the time we go into halftime, and I don't even remember what the score was, we were still down, and down I think significantly, but 18. but. I felt okay going into halftime, shockingly, for some weird reason. But, yeah, that block punt was like a – that one hurt. <laughs> this was a long time ago, but Tulane had the football with a chance to go win yep. in the season opener. Not great. And dove for that first down on fourth and came up about a half a yard short, right? <laughs> After all the buildup to this season and – you know, national championship hopes, season opener against Tulane. They had the football with a chance to go win. Well, that's crazy. If I remember, did Rattler throw an interception on the very first play of the season? Second. Second play of the season. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was that was wild. The so the the Texas, the start of that game, right? The 14 nothing was bad, but the the pass that made it 28 to 7. Right, Joshua Moore, I think it was like just under 50 yards where wide he's wide open running, and you're just like, it. it's just that day, man. We're busting coverages. We got guys running wide open. Like, they're going to get rolled. That was that was also one of those, oh, boy, moments. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was a bunch of them that day. I there was That's what made that game so great is, you know, it, it was at first it started ugly, but then it turned into a tennis match. And then, I don't know, a uh, wild finish. Okay. Offensive MVP up to this point in the season for you, T-Row. Easiest question on the board. Caleb Williams, he turned the season around. I mean, Kennedy's had a nice year. Jaden Hazelwood's been a nice story this year. Drake Stoops catches everything, but Caleb Williams is a shooting star in uh, college football. And the fact that Oklahoma is 9-0 right now is directly credited to him. The fact that Oklahoma has any chance to win or to go to a college football playoff or win a conference title or anything they do this year is directly credited to him. So – 
of oh, there are multiple options to all these questions except for this one there's only one answer to this one it's crazy isn't it he's a true freshman and to come in mid-season is is difficult you know it's it's difficult anyways for a quarterback but as a true freshman whenever you've never had that seat time and now all of a sudden you you enter the season halfway through or or close to it against Guys, everyone's kind of settled into their role for the season and, and how they're going to fit, and you're coming in for your first snaps. After, you know, he had some good positive plays leading into that, but he also had some, like, dropping the snap and almost like he, he's got the jitters or something out there that you felt he's a playmaker, but, man, he's also going to maybe cost us on some stuff, decision-making and maybe getting ahead of himself out there, but... My goodness, as he settled into uh, to a really, really good role at quarterback. Yeah, I think I think Caleb's the only answer here. I will say Kennedy Brooks has he's been good, right? He's been he's been really, really consistent, and he can only do so much. It depends on how the O line plays, right? I'll be the first one to tell you that. But you know, after taking the year off. He looks a little faster. He looks a little stronger. He looks a little leaner. I think he's overall he's a, he's a better back. So I've been I've been impressed with him. But I, I'm with you. And all of a sudden, you look at the Heisman odds. And Caleb Williams at you know at some some sports betting places he's like third in the Heisman odds. And when you look at what OU's got in November, if if he plays well, and if they continue to win all these games. He's going to be a finalist, and that's just—it's crazy to to think that that can even happen when you take over in the middle of the season. But Tiro, that's that's definitely in play here. It's unbelievable. It's not that long ago that it, it was impossible for a freshman to win the Heisman. It just wasn't done. We just don't do that. There probably are still some voters out there who refuse to give it to a freshman, much less a kid who didn't play until, you know, really play until game six. Is that right? Five, six with the Texas game. So I would have never said at the beginning of the year, a guy could not play half of the regular season and win the Heisman Trophy. I still don't know that it can be done. I think there will be voters who will hold that against him, no matter how good he looks the rest of the way. But he is undeniably in this thing. And definitely could get himself a trip to New York city and maybe when it, I mean, if he looks good enough and, you know, Alabama's quarterback falters down the stretch, there's really Michigan state's running back has emerged, but there's not a, a, a obvious front runner out there this year. So he's got a shot. It's unbelievable. Other, other side of the ball is a little more difficult. Um, you know, there's, they started off the season playing, pretty well not against Tulane but after that they like the complaint was guy you gave up 13 points but that opening drive for a touchdown was really long and bad (laughs) you know that was like the complaint to start off and then we started uh giving up yards and points um we've got a couple guys with a lot of production on the defensive line uh I Maybe you say the MVP because of what we witnessed in his absence Turner yell at safety you know it's 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 a little more difficult on the defensive side. You're the expert here. I would say there's four candidates. Uh, IT, Benito, 
maybe Key Lawrence, you know, because the last couple of games he's made a big difference and it looks like maybe going forward he could be a key for them, but I don't, I don't think he could win it yet. My my vote would, would be for Delarian Turner Yell for exactly what you said. I mean, if uh if we're talking valuable, when he was in there at the beginning of the year, the defense looked good. The defense was the better side of the football for Oklahoma. When he left, things went south. When he came back, they looked good again. So uh, you're better than I am or we are at explaining why and how that works and what he does well and why he's such an important missing piece. But it looks pretty undeniable to me that he's an extremely valuable piece to this football team, much less the defense. Okay. I want you guys to follow me on this one because this I, I figured, you know, I wanted to bring, be a little different on this, uh, on this one. Shane Witter? Not Shane Witter. Close. <laughs> so the fifth leading tackler on this football team is a young man named Justin Broyles. And with Turner Yell going out, remember, Bowman went out with the hammy. DJ Graham has missed time. Like they've had all kinds of guys in the back end miss snaps. And every time they take Justin Broyles and they plug him in that spot. And I'm not saying he's been the best player for him. He hasn't. But just from just from the sense I get, like, I think he's one of the leaders on the team. Right. I think he brings a he brings an edge, a little bit of an attitude, uh, obviously experience. And he's been through the fire, right? And he's kind of come out the other side better. And I just think there's a lot of value in the versatility he's brought to the defense. And I, I think he's kind of saved their ass in a couple spots. You just take the well. people off, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but it's true. It's mm-hmm. true. He's, he's, for whatever reason, there's guys that become a lightning rod. And, you know, once they're viewed a certain way by a fan base, it's hard to ever uh, shake that for whatever reason. But, you know, he... As this team hopefully gets healthy and you move on down the road, he might be someone that gets fewer and fewer snaps and is talked about less and less. But whenever you actually, depending on what happens the rest of this season, you go back and you take a deep dive on this year, he's one of those guys that were absolutely key in getting them through a couple of low points because – if he wasn't as versatile of a player as he was and be able to be depend on to play several different spots, they don't make it through some of those games, you know? So yeah, I, I, I would, if I had to go with it, I would say Turner yell, but I think that is a, I think that's a good point right there. And I, I would almost say the same thing about Isaiah Thomas on the defensive line. Some yeah, having it, to move around a little bit. It's, it's been a bummer that he had to kick back into the interior. I mean, listen, and he's he's still very productive, but we I think we all can agree that he, he's a more effective player at defensive end, just you know, with his size and his skill set. But you know, once again, ultimate team guy that just the Broyles thing, like there's value in a guy that just brings it every day, right? On the practice field, just kind of is a culture guy. And I I think Broyles is that guy and you know, I was talking, I was talking to a couple guys on the staff about it, and uh, one of them put it 
I think he put it best when it comes to Justin Broyles. He was like, dude, we keep trying to replace him, and he just refuses to be replaced. I, I, I admire that. I've been yeah. from, from, I don't think any player on the team, like I, when it comes to expectations to performance, I think he's probably number one on the list for me. I didn't, I didn't expect anything from the guy this year at all. And he's done some good things. He was uh, my answer to most surprising, which I think we're going to get to here in a second for all the reasons you just said, and this is a soapbox for me, but we as a fan base or media or whoever, the collective, we, it drives me crazy in college football. When we decide after two years or after one year, or in some cases after just a handful of games, how good a guy is. And that's it. That's how good they are. They, we, they can never be better than that. We've decided this is how good you are or you're no good or whatever. And we do not allow for the possibility of an 18-year-old kid getting better, taking coaching, developing, learning, getting experience, and getting better. We just don't allow it. We've just, we already decided you're no good. You're not allowed now to get better and be good. We do it all the time with guys. And, and you're either really good or you're terrible. Like, yeah. There's no, there's no like level. And once we've decided, we've decided. And uh, Justin Broyles is one of those guys, you know, and so good for him. I think Delarian Turner yells kind of one of those guys. Isaiah Thomas was just a guy for a couple of years here and developed into a monster. He's going to play in the NFL. So uh, I'm, I think Justin Broyles is a fantastic story. And when you're talking, Gabe, about what he means from a leadership aspect, I think that's the way he was all the way back to his recruiting class. You remember that year he came in, like he was the ringleader for that recruiting class. So he's always been a very charismatic, confident young man. And he has, he didn't have the start to his college career, maybe even the entirety of his college career that he wanted, but he has found a way this year to contribute significantly when needed at a a variety of positions. So good for him. Yeah. All right. Let's take a quick break and then we'll get Teddy's most surprising player of the season. Are you unhappy with the surface around your pool? Are you not pleased with your patio? Soft Rock specializes in installing safe rubber surfacing for pools, patios, gym floors, and other outdoor spaces. Soft Rock's rubber safety surfacing provides a long-lasting surface that is impact and slip resistant, fully customizable, and virtually indestructible. Local business owners Heidi and Cody Clark are avid OU fans that are driven to help you with all of your pool and patio surfacing needs. Visit softrock.com slash OKC. That's S-O-F-T-R-O-C dot com slash OKC for more information. The Clarks also own the Driveway Company. The Driveway Company has tailored solutions to eliminate all of your driveway problems. They can repair cracks, clean and seal your rotting grass field joints to prevent water damage, ultimately saving you thousands of dollars in future repairs. Visit thedrivewaycompany.com slash OKC for all of your driveway repair needs, learn more about Soft Rock and the Driveway Company by visiting their Facebook and Instagram pages or by calling 405-294-9834. And if you are a whiskey or bourbon drinker, stop what you are doing, head to your favorite liquor store, and buy some Balcones products. 
you got to grab some of Balcones Lineage Single Malt Whiskey. It was just voted one of the top 20 whiskeys in the world by Whiskey Advocate, and you'll be shocked by how affordable it is. Also, you got to snag some of Balcones Baby Blue Corn Whiskey. It's made from glue, blue corn. Teddy, you want to say it? That's the fancy corn. Yeah, baby. And that's why it has won more than 25 awards. Last but certainly not least, you got to buy some of the Balcones Pot Still Bourbon. Its big flavors make it the perfect bourbon to drink year-round. In 2012, Balcones Single Malt won the best-in-glass competition, beating brands like Johnny Walker and McAllen. It became the first American distillery ever to win the competition. This stuff is the real deal, people. If you love great whiskey and great bourbon at a great price, then Balcones products are the only way to go. The whiskey may be made in Texas, but the owners are from Oklahoma. To find a liquor store that has it, visit BalconesDistilling.com. All right, Ted, who do you got? Uh, biggest surprise for me, I think, I, I would go with Key Lawrence. And it's it's not that I'm shocked at how uh, athletic he is or, you know, how aggressive he plays. But I would have never, and I know he's got a history of it, I would never have expected him to step in in one, ga- one game and look like he's absolutely by some margin the best corner that we've got on the team and maybe one of the best corners that we've seen. And I'm probably getting way ahead of myself after just one performance, but that is a totally different position. You know, if if you play wide receiver, you're a slot and they move you to the outside, it's like, okay, there's a difference there, but you're still running routes and you're still catching the football. Like corner and safety from where he was playing is a totally different world. They're both in the secondary, but almost nothing that they do it has carryover. The skill set, the techniques involved, uh, all of that stuff. The he's in a different room. He's coached by a different guy. You know, uh, he's he's now in Roy Manning's room instead of with Grinch. So it's. To be able to do that and have that type of position versatility was a big shock to me. And it came at a time where we absolutely had to have it. Okay, this is, this is, and I don't think, I'm not trying to be negative here, right? I think maybe on a positive note, Kennedy Brooks has been surprising to me because we had heard so much about Eric Gray, right? Heading into the season, so... The fact that Kennedy has been the guy at running back, like that's been a little surprising, but he, he, he's he been good. The most surprising thing to me, and I know he's coming off the scary injury from last year, but just the lack of production from Stogner, right? Remember, you go back to last season before he got hurt, and he was like the go-to guy, right? I mean, and it just, for whatever reason, uh, and I, I still don't think he's all the way back physically, but he just hasn't been a factor really. And, you know, early in his career, when we saw him, we we're like this kid, he's going to own the middle of the field. Like he's, he's the next Mark Andrews type player. And it, it just hasn't worked out that way so far this season, Ted. Well, it's, I think that he's probably back physically, but I don't know that he's back mentally you know he my guess is every time a ball's thrown to him 
he almost died whenever someone went low on him and, and took his legs out. That still has to be a fact. That still has to weigh on you mentally. Like a lot of times you're back health, healthy, but you still think about your injury as you're playing, as you're making cuts and getting tackled or going in for a tackle. It's still on your brain. And until that's completely eliminated, you never really fully return to form. And I think he's struggling through some of that right now. And rightfully so. I mean, I would totally understand that, that, you know, you took a shot, which it was a, it was a bad shot, but one that is fairly normal and almost cost your life, almost cost your leg, your back. And that's got to be hard to put out of your mind. Yeah. No, I'm with you. All right. We've got some, (laughs) what's wrong, Toby? Are you okay? I said way to be a downer. Yeah. We were kind of, yeah, you know, let, let's move on to the, uh, we, we've got some questions from the listeners. This first one comes from Bryson Blade. First of all, what a name, Bryson Blade on Twitter. He said, can you ask Toby what a guy needs to do to get one of his famous spotter boards and or an autographed copy of his book? See, I got this question, T-Row, and I was like, perfect time to plug Unhitch the Wagon, which, by the way, Cam Eichard loves Loves it. Read it to him all the time, buddy. Nice. Um, hit me up on Twitter. I'll tell you how you can get a, uh, uh, autographed copy or signed copy of the book. That's no problem at all. The spotter boards are a little more random. Um, I don't really have a method to those. So good luck. We just kind of, uh, like to give those to, there's a lot of charity auctions and stuff. We like to give those to those whenever they pop up uh, every once in a while, a fan will pop in on Twitter or Instagram or whatever at just the right time. And I'll, I'll uh, send one their way, but there's really no method to the madness because um, it kind of got out of control on us a little bit. So um, yeah, just keep trying, just keep trying. You had to, allocate the spotter boards out to like the 2025 season by so, so many people started asking for them? Well, yeah, I, I made the mistake a few years ago of giving them out kind of all out in advance before the season started, you know, sign, uh, granting them. And then as the season rolled along, something would pop up where I would say, man, I wish I, wish I hadn't given that spotter board out because I'd really like in this situation to, you know, there was an auction or whatever. So, just kind of dialed that back a little bit, but we, we got a lot of games coming up. So just hopefully I'm, I'm amazed that people want them. I think it's cool. Teddy always signs them uh, for us. And uh, uh, we don't, I don't have any use for them after the game's over. So I'm perfectly happy to give them away and, and uh, flattered that, that people want them. Okay. This question's for you, T row. It comes from Nathan Titus 15 on Twitter. He says, ask Toby if he personally has ever put the ponies in the barn? <laughs> hmm. uh, I have been around horses in my life. When I was growing up in Mustang, we had friends who had horses. And so I think probably the answer is yes. I don't remember off the top of my head an occasion where I physically put the ponies in the barn. <laughs> but it probably happened. Growing up in Mustang, 
I haven't. Uh, uh, oh, well, yeah. You know what? As a family, we went uh, we went horseback riding a few years ago down at, uh, oh, what's the state park up? Romano's. And uh, we had to get the horses out of the barn and put them back in the barn. So the answer is yes. There you go. The answer is yes. <laughs> the man knows of what he speaks. Now, have you ever gone horseback riding? Either one of you? Oh, love horseback riding. Yeah. I always feel bad for the horse, but big fan, big fan. Teddy, yeah. Whenever I was, uh, whenever I was a kid, I had to kind of take care of some horses for a a neighbor not too far uh, away from where we lived. Got to ride them some. I once got bucked off of a horse. It actually ran me under a tree and knocked me off of a, off its back, and then stepped on my stomach. <laughs> at what age uh probably 12 11 okay. or 12 so the this abs of steel scary. were in so current you're good day, current day teddy would have not that a poor horse would that would have been the last thing that horse ever did you've got like sprawling acreages out there now ted do you don't you don't have horses out there now i don't have sprawling acreages and i don't want to i i'm busy enough horses require a whole lot of work and a whole lot of attention a lot of maintenance involved. Mm-hmm. Okay, this you know one comes from Zaximus on Twitter. And he says, this is for Teddy. Have you ever thought about coaching for the Sooners? Never. I get, the, well, I get this question a lot, dude. I've thought about it. I've only thought about how much I would never want to do it. That's, that's all. There's, it's just it's so much work, man. It is so much work. It's year-round. In, in season, you're talking about like 14, 16-hour days. You're talking about like I don't like to talk to very many people to begin with, <laughs> much less call a bunch of, you know, 16, 17, and 18-year-old kids all across the country. I, it's, I have zero interest, zero in coaching. <laughs> I love football and I would, I would like to be around the football part of it. Like that stuff is cool. And, and being able to watch players develop and help them develop and and stuff like that is, is nice to think about, but all of the other stuff that comes with coaching, no way. That when people ask me about it, I'm always like, I don't think he would thrive when it comes to the recruiting part of things. (laughs) right no can you see teddy t-row he'd just be like well uh you kind of suck but i think i can make you better you're not any good right now you gotta you gotta i think a general baseline for being a good recruiter is you've got to like people (laughs) not i don't think teddy likes people (laughs) all right last one and it's for you toby this comes from logan moody and he says I would like to hear what kind of team Porter Moser is capable of coaching up this year. He seems extremely high energy and highly invested in the student body, unlike we've had before. I'm interested to see how you and Toby feel. You are, you've called a basketball game. You've been around the team. What, what, what Sooners hoops looking like this year, man? I don't know. Uh, that was a, a very encouraging performance in the uh, exhibition game. They shot. Uh, well, they hit 18 threes. They, uh, I think they shot 70% from the field for the game and had 25 assists on 38 made shots. So great ball movement, great shooting. Don't think we expected that. We expected this to be a 
defensive team, and maybe they still will be, but uh, and that the offensive end would be a struggle for them. So encouraging that they shot the ball so well, moved the ball so well, looked so good. Now, it's a Division II team. It's an exhibition game. But you'd rather look good than not look good. It's just so hard to know with so many new faces. I mean, they got nine. It's going to be a basketball team that when people go watch them play for the first time, they're not going to know anyone on the court. No. You might remember Elijah Harkless and Mo Gibson, but everybody else is new. I think they have exciting pieces. Um, the, you guys are going to love the Groves brothers. Tanner is the one that put 35 on Kansas in the NCAA tournament, wears the headband, looks like he should be playing at a YMCA league. He, he looks straight out of the movie semi-pro. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah, but he can play. His brother, Jacob, his little brother, is like a Brady Manic type. He's 6'9", lanky three-point shooter. Not going to post you up. Wants to shoot threes. And he went six for six from three the other night. So he could shoot. Uh, both those guys are great additions. I think one that has gone under the radar a little bit is Ethan Shagwa, another big man, 6'9", who can step out and shoot. He's made, I think it was 120 career threes. So he could shoot. Uh, but he's got a, a in the paint game too. He'll rebound, block shots. You could throw it to him in the post. A super senior who has started a ton of games for SMU, and SMU has been a good program. So he's a good player. Um, and and other you know the Goldwire. That's the one for Jordan Goldwire, the Duke transfer, a point guard who is a tenacious defender. He was. Uh, number two in the ACC in steals last year, led the ACC in assist to turnover ratio, smart, solid basketball player. And I can score a ton, but can give you 10 points a game, maybe eight, 10 points a game, but will defend you like crazy. And when you put Goldwire, Harkless, and Gibson together, that's a perimeter defense that will be formidable this year. So, I don't know. I'm excited about their pieces. I think that they're all fired up because of the energy of Porter Moser. You know, it's a turning of the page here. Not much is expected out of them. So I think they got a chance to, to, you know, have a nice little team. They were picked seventh in the Big 12. If they go to the NCAA tournament for a team that had three players in April, if they go to the NCAA tournament, that's an amazing accomplishment. Do you like Moser's approach? It, it's it's different. You were there quite a bit, watched a ton of practices, sat in a bunch of film sessions and stuff with, with Kruger. It's it not that what either guy does is right or wrong. It's just totally different. Do you do you like his approach? Does it look like he's getting good buy-in from the players? Yeah, I would say uh, the difference is Porter Moser coaches in practice and in games like Brent Venables. Like he is veins popping out his neck aggressive. Like he has just had 10 Red Bulls. Every time you see him, it's like he just had 10 Red Bulls. He said he doesn't drink coffee or Red Bull. It's just natural energy. But that's different than Lon Kruger. You know, Lon's pretty easy going laid back. 
the similarity is that they both are very positive coaches. You know, they're, they're, I mean, they'll get on you a little bit if you, if you mess up, but they very much are more coaching from the positive reinforcement angle. So they've got some similarities to them. They just personality wise um, Porter's he wakes up and he's raring to go. I mean, you, you show up and he's, He's coming at you. You know, you're always when you're in a conversation with Porter, you're always kind of backpedaling because he's aggressively coming at you when he's talking. And uh, and that can't help but wear off on his basketball team. That's the way they play defense or hope to anyway. So I like him. I like him. He's been a thrill to deal with. We got to do a banquet together the other night. He is uh, he has embraced OU. I think Sooner Nation has already embraced him even before he's coached a game. So I think it was a great hire. Great hire for Josie. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun to see how the Teddy season goes. Teddy guaranteed uh, they're going to the round of thirty-two. Round of thirty-two, at least. That's I just mean, that's the minimum. I'm guaranteeing that right there. That I'm not capping it at that. I'm just guaranteeing that. I mean, if he can take Loyola to the final four. I think he can take a patchwork OU team to the to the second round. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Love it. All right, boys. This was fun. Um, We'll have a new podcast that'll drop Thursday morning. We'll preview OU Baylor. Hope you everyone out there has great week. Toby Rowland, you're the man. No peanut the cat. We're not going to talk about peanut the cat on here at all. What's peanut the cat? Bob Cunningham. Bob, I I don't oh. know. <laughs> I don't know if Bob listens to this podcast, but his heart probably just stopped. <laughs> and now we were going to have all kinds of questions. People, to, hey, tell us about the cat. Yeah, we can't do that. I can't do that to Bob. Come on, man. Oh, it. And it, it it's almost funnier knowing that like only a small group of people know. <laughs> yeah, but I will say this: it's ridiculous, <laughs> absolutely ridiculous. It's the surprise of the year. Yeah. All right. Until next time, we appreciate y'all for listening. Do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other. Just one more time